This is DJ Thomas, and you're listening to Frequency Interrupted. What's up, everybody? I have uh, Thomas Adams here. He's actually owns a barber shop off um, barber shop, and then he also has a bridal shop as well with his wife, who's sitting right here next to me. And then also I have Jordan Smith. Jordan Smith previously was a financial advisor and now has his own insurance agency in Longview, Texas. Um, so I guess Thomas, let's start with you, man. Give us a little background about what it, you know, how you come up and what you're doing and what made you kind of get started to where you're at now. Man, I grew up in a small town, um, went to work for a construction company right out of high school, uh, decided pretty quick that wasn't what I wanted to do. Uh, being a barber was the, the quickest thing I could do and work for myself. And 14 years later, here we are. Um, about five years ago, we decided to venture off in this bridal deal, and that's been interesting itself. I imagine so. I mean, what? so what, what have you run into doing? I'm, it's funny how you go from – cutting men's hair all day long to get into the bridal industry. How does that, how does that stuff cross up? Um, I have to, I have to thoroughly work at it uh, (laughs) because you know, men they're um, when they walk in somewhere, they generally know what they want. They want a quick service. They want to go on about their business. A woman for the most part, they want to be pampered. Um, They don't want you to be honest most of the time. Um, So it's two very different worlds. And um, I've just found that sometimes it's better for me to stay out of the customer service part at the barbershop and stick to my barbershop. So So you stay behind the scenes. That's right. I got you. What about you, Jordan? Uh, Yeah, man, I kind of started out uh, in college. I always was interested in stocks and stuff like that. Uh, I always wanted to kind of learn, you know, other than having a checking account at the bank, kind of actually how money worked and uh, graduated college and didn't know where I wanted to go, did a ton of interviews and finally landed at uh, Merrill Lynch, actually about a year after I graduated college. It took me about a year and I uh, was doing some weights and tables in the meantime. If you don't know, Merrill Lynch is just a big national wealth management firm. Yeah. Uh, wasn't there very long. Um, I was kind of, I was kind of enrolled in this brand new training program they had at the time. Uh, it was a short stint there, short meeting. I think it was about, it's about eight months. And then I went to another larger insurance company for a short period of time, knowing that's not really where I wanted to stay long term. Then I finally found my home at an independent uh, wealth management firm, meaning basically this guy was not tied to any Edward Jones or Merrill Lynch. He had his own place, own shop. And um, I was there for about three years. It was a very, very critical part of my career. I think it really kind of helped catapult me in that three years to the next level where I needed to be. And then finally landed, uh, you know, over in, Texas uh, with my own insurance business. Uh, I didn't own the place I was working at before and just coming from an entrepreneurial family. I knew at one point, you know, no matter what it was, I wanted to own something and give it a run, kind of see if, you know, I was capable of doing it. So that's where I'm at now. And that's kind of from a 30,000 foot view, how I ended up there. So Okay. And so how are you? Oh, I want to say 29. I actually turned 30 in June. But I, still, okay. I guess I wish I was 29 still. Yeah, me I turned, same here. Yeah, yeah I turned 30 <laughs> back in June, yes. So you have your own business at 30. Mm-hmm. And you guys, what? how old are you now, Thomas? 34. Okay, and when did you guys start the bridal? Uh, 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 bridal shop, I was 29. We uh, officially bought it in 2015. The barber shop, I started cutting hair um, in May of 2005. So I was 19. Exactly. And you started doing your own thing that early. So it's really interesting to see that I have two people here that are from completely different areas and completely different markets. They both have been successful early on in their life. And we still have, you know, 
40 or 50 more years of life left, hopefully. You know what I mean? So, that, I mean, I think that's really cool. Uh, a, a lot of points I want to hit on. Um, what we what we talk about weekly on the show is what it is that is our passion, the journey we've, we've went through and what we've overcome to move to where we are now. But also, you know, have a little fun with it and discuss some topics that, you know, could be interesting that people can relate to who are listening. So um, a lot, what I thought about this week is I want to talk about insecurities. I think a lot of insecurities are running, you know, make people make decisions or they keep people from making decisions. Who, you, either one of you got any input on that? I mean, I just know, just like this thing, for instance, is a, is a good one for mine. It may not be exactly what you're talking about, but public speaking for me is not very easily. Okay. So I try to do it as often as possible. I know I'm not good at it, yeah. um, but whenever I have a chance to do it, it seems like whenever I very first started doing some of that, it would I would say a couple of words and then, um, uh, and, and that, that kind of worked out. That somewhat is getting better, but um, man, in business, you're going to face all kind of insecurities. I mean, you know, dealing with personnel, um, dealing with, you know, money, you're, you're going, you know, are you going to be able to make payroll this week? You know, things like that. There's a, there's being a business owner is full of insecurities. I mean, I think that that's probably what is somewhat mesmerizing about it because it keeps you on your toes. Yeah. Well, I can relate because I run a business with two partners and we all run businesses here and we know that how strenuous it can be at times whenever you don't know if you can cover your next month's overhead because you're trying to generate business, but also pay a staff. That stuff really, you know, really hits home sometimes. Yeah, that juggle game's hard. Oh, yeah. It's funny you said public speaking. I, I had that same fear. I took a class in college on it. And then that little short three years where I went to work with the independent guy, he forced me to do seminars. And it was, I mean, it was I felt like I was going to throw up yeah. every time I did it. Yeah. And actually, I got—I finally got comfortable with it. You know, the more you do it, just like anything, you get comfortable with it. And I got comfortable with it, and I called down to uh, Louisiana Bar Association one time. They had this big annual event they do for all the Louisiana attorneys to do, like, continuing education. Right. And I was like, maybe I can get him down there and speak on this topic. It's a business, you know. Got down Got in the door, but then we got down there, and it was right before we were about to go on stage, and I was like, what have I done? <laughs> like, you know, but now you're going from a small seminar, you know, anywhere from three to ten people to, you know, not all of them were in there. They were attending, but, I mean, you're still on this. It's a bigger setting. You're on the stage, and I had that same building, and I was like, what have I done? This is just, this is insane. But, yeah, that along with everything else y'all just discussed, I mean, I think it's full of question marks, insecurities, you know, trying to figure out what you're going to do next. So. Well, I can, relate, I can relate because basically I, the same thing three or four years ago, I wouldn't even talk in front of a crowd, and now I'm doing it on a weekly basis with networking events, uh, whether it be some kind of training, consulting, or just day-to-day -day working with employees or new clients. And it's interesting to see how you evolve whenever you actually go out of your way to overcome your insecurities right. so you can move forward, and it makes you progress. And now we're sitting here all talking on the mic and on video. and Absolutely. It's, you know, it's not that big of a deal anymore. And so people who are listening, like, you know, you may be – a little bit scared of what you may have to face whenever you stand up. But if you're confident in what you're talking about, or you know your business and know your topic, you really can't mess up because you're speaking to an audience who has no clue what you're talking about anyway. So it's just a point of trying to engage them at that point instead of just, you know, throwing, you know, BS out there. Now, now Thomas, tell me a little bit about how you come up. So Thomas and I have known each other for a, a really long time, but we, we weren't that, we were close when we were really young and then we really didn't see each other that much, you know, maybe a few times a year over the course of 20 years. So there's a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff 
that I possibly have missed but I'd like to hear about? Man, um, you know, somewhat when I was younger, uh, Army Brat, we moved around a little bit, um, not to the extent that a lot of people did. I didn't move, you know, across the ocean or anything like that. Um, but as far as, I mean, I had a pretty normal small town childhood, um, hunt, fish, um, you know, as far as, I don't know, when I turned 18, I was just one of those people I wanted out of my parents' house as quickly as possible. Um, like I said, I started my barbershop, bought my first house, and, um, you know, my 20s, you know, I probably spent like most normal 20-year-old adolescents and made a lot of mistakes <laughs> and did a lot of stupid things, but I try not to regret anything. I feel like that everything that I did that, I, that was stupid, you just try to learn from, and exactly. um, the it does bother me somewhat that... I'm not going to say that I feel like I just necessarily wasted it, but I feel like there's about four or five years there that if I'd had my eye on the ball, I'd probably be a lot further than I am now. I can completely relate to that. I feel like between the ages of uh, possibly 18 and realistically 25 or 26, yeah, I agree. before I figured out what the hell I wanted to do yeah. or what I thought I wanted to do and put my head in the game to some things, and now it's completely transitioned. But when did you decide you wanted to be a barber? How did you get into that? Like, what was your ambition there? Did you just one day land on it and, and realize you enjoyed it or what? Man, to be honest with you, um, uh, one of my dad's friends growing up um, had worked at the same construction company that I had started working at that my dad had also worked at for 20 years. And he, um, the whole time I was working there, I'd go get my hair cut and he'd just hammer, hammer me about it. Man, you need to do this. You need to do this and talk to people. This is, you know, a good thing. And so I, when I walked in barber school to sign up, I'd never cut a head of hair, never thought about cutting a head of hair. <laughs> and um, I don't know, man, it's just one of those things. I, I feel like it's almost to some extent like art you either got it or you don't and right it just uh, I, after the first semester I fell in love with it and don't get me wrong it drives me crazy some days but for the most part I love it um, that's good does it ever I guess being in that that's I have an interesting question so you guys have a um, bridal shop together him being in, in a barber do you deal with a lot of people who actually are dealing with wives potential wives who may be shopping is it a good networking aspect yes, no no and doubt on that and um, that's very interesting because it's a completely totally different industry but it still indirectly feeds back into the bridal shop from you networking with men all day long we it somewhat plays off each other um you know She'll have a bride that comes in and they'll send their husband or future husband to my shop. Um, my, I would say on the networking end of it, on my end, probably more so um, the tuxedo business and things like that. Um, high school kids, I have quite a bit of high school kids. So getting them in for proms and homecomings and things like that. Um, and there's a jewelry store right next to me. So I do get to see some people that are over there shopping for rings and things like that and kind of send them on the way to our store. But yes, yeah, no doubt. And I mean, we're, we're all, when I say small town, we're, you know, those three businesses that I'm talking about, my business and then her business and the jewelry store next door, we're all on Main Street right there together. So it's real easy to send somebody from one right. to the other. Yeah. And um, I mean, just being in that small town and everybody being together like that's a good networking thing on its own. But also the bulk of your business from the bridal shop perspective has come abroad, not in that small town. No, I It's agree. interesting to see that the quality of you're being in a small town in a remote area. 
which we're talking about Minden, Louisiana for listeners who are talking about, but you've been in that small town, all these outlying areas shop with you more than the local people do, it seems like, which is very interesting. So it means you're doing something right. Well, we try to market ourselves as a, a destination bridal shop. Um, for some reason, uh, girls like to drive. We don't get a lot of business from our town. Um, but to be honest with you, probably a majority of our business is hour plus away. Um, drives me crazy to some extent most of the time uh, to the point of makes me mad at people sometimes yeah. but um you know you just gotta take your business where you can get it i'm interested to know if you uh you ever let him cut your hair alicia i actually yeah <laughs> that's great it took a long time okay yeah. that's awesome well jordan what about you man we'd like to hear a little bit about you know where you come from and where you decided to do what you're doing now yeah yeah grew up uh not too far from here uh went to a small uh school uh like i said i didn't know what i wanted to do you know, for a long time to about 26, kind of like y'all, I feel like there was a time period between, you know, maybe 19 and 26 where I wasted, a, you know, there were some good things that happened, but I wasted a lot of time. Kind of wish looking back on it, I would have listened to something we said, you know, you should start sooner. Mm-hmm. You know, that's hard getting through anybody said, you know, even your own. Um, so there's a time period there where I was obviously in college, but still even after college, doing a little too much playing around, but finally landed on my feet, you know, like I said, in Merrill Lynch and was in a world where I felt like that's what I wanted to do forever. You know, had some setbacks along the way, whether it's financial world or insurance. I mean, they're both one of the most competitive, you know, in my opinion, industries right now, uh, you know, and before. Um, actually, when I first started out uh, at Merrill Lynch, there was a test you had to take uh, and you can only take it twice. And then if you fail the second time, they'll let you go. Well, I took it the first time and I didn't pass it. I missed it by, oh gosh, 10 questions. I took it the second time about six months later, just studying all day, all night, wouldn't do anything on the weekends. Like, it's a big test. You know, I really wanted to prove to myself I could do it. Felt it the second time, yeah. and I was like, oh, this is about a few questions. I was like, oh, man, they're going to, you know, cut me now, which they did. And it was like, I thought it was the end of the world. I mean, I'm sitting in my truck, my head against my steering wheel, you know, paying paying rent, you know, because I was getting paid there. I was yeah, getting sure. a small salary. Well, what kind of, rent, yeah, everything. Before you go too far on that, yeah. what kind of test was it? So what kind of questions? Was it just it, industry it, specific? Yeah, it was stuff? a Series 7 test. Okay, I got you. Okay. Was, yeah, so it was like my stocks, bonds, yeah. options. Uh, I mean, everything. Um, big, long, six-hour test. And I uh, thought it was the end of the world. And I almost thought about stopping. But uh, actually, at the end of that, you know, right after it happened, about a, a week later, I, was, I think I was talking to my dad. Hey, look, he, I was talking to him on the phone. He was like, you know, your problem's really not your problem. I didn't understand what he's talking about. Basically meaning, you know, that happened for a reason. It's going to lead you to where you need to be. So I kind of took a deep breath. And I knew that's what I wanted to do. So I just kept on trucking, you know, end up, you know, getting a job, like I said, at another large insurance company, passed some tests that I need to pass, you know, went forward still, you know, to the, the point where I was working for Ken, you've been to his office, you know, for about yeah. 10 years. Took some more tests. I actually thought another test I had to take like three times. <laughs> so it's safe to say yeah. you're not a good test taker. Yeah, I'm not so a good test needs need some help with some cheating on became, any kind of yeah. test, he can't help you. Yeah, it can't help you. I, I feel like I became one through that process. But, yeah, if any clients ever ask me, you know, if you pass on the first trial, you know, that's who I want to work with. It wouldn't be me. Exactly. But luckily, yeah, luckily those tests don't define you unless you let them. So, man, I just... I kept at it and I kept at it. And I think for myself, the the self-awareness, but the persistence, you know, to keep going is, you know, obviously what I feel like is a big part of, you know, how I got to where I'm at right now in life. Because, I mean, I could have easily given up multiple times when, whether it was the test, you know, any other situations that I felt like, you know, the universe or whatever was against me. But, yeah, that's kind of 
little bit of backstory there. I'll we'll go a little bit deeper. Well, so when did you decide you wanted to do this exactly? Was it during college or was it younger years? I mean, Man, it wasn't even. Uh, or, or is it just a, like a situation? Like you fell into it and you realized yeah. you liked it. You know, was that what? Yeah, it was? I knew. I'm, I know. I said earlier in college, I was interested, kind of interested in stocks and right. and really business in general too, uh, because you know my my dad his own businesses on and off my whole life some some success some failures and got a lot of family members who are in business for themselves. But I think it's when I kind of landed that interview at Merrill Lynch. I didn't even know what they did, to be honest. You know, someone told me to go interview there. I was like, I don't even know what they did. Some corporate, you know, deal, whatever. Yeah. And I, I, bu- I worked at this small store in college, and I bumped into this guy one night at a, uh, um, it was a hunting show that a church had put on, uh, a raffle or something like okay. that. And he was sitting at the table next to me, and he came up and said, like, I think I recognize you. I was like, you're familiar, too. And he actually worked at Merrill Lynch. He was like, we need to talk. So he gave me his card and uh, actually was interviewing to, to work with him. That's how I ended up there and then when I got there and started doing all the study and everything I realized man this stuff's pretty interesting you know so that's what made me continue um and I thought it was a cool job you know I'd watch all the at that point I'd start watching all these movies about you know these stockbrokers and everything watch it didn't know exactly what was going to go on but but yeah all these cool movies all this money and parties and everything and then come to find out it's actually a lot of hard work. You know, most people don't make it. You know, if you look at the odds, you know, and, and the majority of people in it are, you know, these old white, I mean, old gray-haired white men, you know. Yeah. It's kind of it's kind of weird. you got a lot of people in that age bracket, and then there's really no, not, not that many in the middle, and there's, you know, a lot of younger people trying to get in it. But it's such hard work starting out because you're young and trying to convince people with money, hey, let me manage your money. Well, you're 27 years old. I'm 65 years old. Why don't I let you know? You don't know anything. So I learned very quickly. It was not the life like in the movies. You know, I'm sure some people have looked, you know, worked maybe on Wall Street, in New York, and had some, you know, similar, you know, situations happen like the movies. But most of it's not like the movies. I found that out quick. A lot of hard work, and you know, you got to be persistent. Well, there's a lot of people in your industry especially that show up in networking events and are just trying to push product down people's throat 24 seven with no passion or energy behind it. What's your take on that? I think, I, and this is a bigger problem than I can, that I can solve. Hopefully it gets solved one day, but I think part of the problem is, you know, I'm glad they didn't have this rule or law at first, but you know, anybody, my little brother could go take an insurance or financial test. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's easy to get into, but it ain't easy to keep going. Exactly. That's right. Come to you and say, you're a business owner. You know, let me sell you an insurance or financial product, do some investing. If you weren't maybe the type of person you are and we're like, well, What's your experience and stuff like that? You know, he could technically do it. And so you got all these people, you know, whether they got experience or not, but a lot of them who don't have much experience and they go work for these companies. And, you know, especially if it's not like an independent world and more of a captive world. And now the company's pushing it, sell this, sell that. You know, we need this. We need that. We need you to go push this product. They're like forcing it. One, forcing these people to go sell this stuff. Two, you got people out there selling things they don't know anything about. I mean, I've made the mistake before yeah. of selling something to somebody I sold something to my own grandmother one time because I use it as a story to help me now that she shouldn't have bought. Now, it didn't hurt her, but it just wasn't the best thing for it, you know. But that, that's kind of my, my take on that. So I think if somehow they could eliminate that, it would be whether it's insurance or the financial part of it, it'd be more of the actual advising roles, you know, than just yeah. this product pushing, you know. Well, I see a lot of it in my industry. I work with um, numerous insurance companies, agencies, whatever it may be. And what I see, I always trying to find holes in the market as far as before I create strategy or anything to help them out. And I see it a lot as people don't have a relationship with their clients. Right. They're trying to sell a product, but you're selling a product for your well-being. Right. Whether it's the insurance or vehicle, I mean, to in, 
to insure your vehicle, to you know, insure your home, your life, whatever it may be. But they're pushing it off for that PL trying to get that sale, right. and they, they don't give a damn about their clients. And right. I, I mean, that's why it's a you know sinking ship usually. But it's interesting, to, you know, to get your take on that because that industry is so spotty when it comes to stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. Now, um, Thomas, I know you by now you probably ran into a few of those situations where you uh, have those those types of industries. Oh, you for sure. Mess with. I mean, people, people. I mean, call daily, but yeah. you know, it's one of those things. I guess. I think that I know this sounds crazy, but I think it, it, a, a person that does insurance or, or not even necessarily that any kind of what you're talking about should almost have to work in some kind of service industry for a year because it would show you that you don't necessarily making a relationship with somebody first will get you more further with them and them giving you more credibility than just going and trying to push a product. On exactly. You know? They're all selling the same thing. Right. And so people want that experience. Yeah, exactly. They don't necessarily want just the product. They want yeah. a good product, but they want to feel good about it at the end of the day. Yeah. And if you're not making people feel good about it, they're, they're not going to buy it. They're going to clam up in the beginning. Yeah. And um, no, I agree with that a hundred percent. But you can use that across any, any, any no, business. I, I mean, for you, sure. you a haircut, maybe it's not the best haircut in the world maybe it's an amazing haircut but if they sit in that chair and they enjoy the banter and the experience of the entire thing they're going to leave feeling good about it and right. come back right same thing with the bridal industry if they the, i know that because i'm sure that you guys get i'm sure people order stuff online or whatever it may be but you can't get that experience where you walking in maybe the most important thing for a woman for their their entire life is putting on that dress mm -hmm. and if they don't feel good about it yeah then what do they have, you know? And somewhat that's, I mean, and you could almost say that about brick and mortar, period. Yeah. Um, you know, it, you, I feel like it basically breaks down to two people in this world. You got people that will order off the internet. It doesn't bother them. Um, and I'm not necessarily saying there's a lot wrong with that. Um, if that's what you want to do, that's fine. I would rather support the local thing. But, um, you know, the other side to that is there's some people that are touchy feely. They want to touch everything right. that they buy, whether it's a pair of tennis shoes, a pair of blue jeans, they don't want to look at it on the internet. They want to go and shop for it. And I feel like, um, you know, that group of people is what's keeping the brick and mortar alive for sure. Of course. And I mean, I think, I think we still have a good, 20 years of brick and mortar before we see it be, I don't, you know, I don't know what's going to happen, but I know that as you see technology advance and society advance, where it's using um, online marketing, social media, whatever it may be, everything's remote and there's no personal service. They're using the platforms to create the personal bond instead of the face to face. But, you know, we still have, it feels like, I feel like audio is coming back. So 50 years ago, we were listening to radio and then TV come out, they're watching TV, and now you you guys are listening to podcasts right now. We're on it. We're talking to you. They're, you can't see, you know, you can't tangibly touch, but you're getting useful information. So I think it's, you know, it's one of those things to where it can be a good thing and a bad thing. I think if we cohesively blend them together, because, hell, I still shop on Amazon. I can't get every single thing I get hands-on sometimes. It is a convenient thing. They are the beast. They can get you primed the next day, which is amazing because right. – that is unheard of, but there are a lot of services like, especially like a haircut. You can't get that. No. You can't get a good haircut over the phone. You can't do it. It's just not going to happen, or online, or whatever it may and, be. You know, being from a small town, you're not gonna, you're not gonna always be able to find everything you want 
in a brick and mortar oh, store. Not. Um, you know, so I'm not saying there's there, there's a give and take on it. Um, you know, it, it, it could be tweaked a little bit and probably be a bit more fair. But um, I think for the most part that, you know, just like I told you, it kind of breaks down to two people. Most of the people that don't order online, they're not going to order online. And the people that do, do. And I'm right. not saying there's anything wrong with anybody one way or the other. But, um, you know, it goes back to that service, just like you said. People want, you know, the, the people that want the experience, that's what they want. The people that get caught up in, you know, the hustle and bustle of life, they want convenience. And I guess that's more so you, you can break it down to experience or convenience. I think our battle is to try to get both. Right. If we can get experience, convenience, the personal touch, the relationship, best we can to our best ability, that's probably going to advance us the most. And interesting, you're talking about when, when you go brick and mortar, you're talking about, you know, especially the Bamer, uh, baby boomer generation, you know, our older people in the market that want that hands-on experience I was thinking about this the other day. Our grandparents would kick our ass if they knew what we were posting on social media as a society. I agree. You know, or what we're or how we or how we interact in a customer service environment these days. If you think about some of the things that you put out there, whether it's, you know, on your social media or just, you know, the way you do services from a, you know, a distance, it's it's insane how that works. You got y'all have any feedback on that? I mean, it goes to the point of I understand what you're saying because I guess kind of what you're getting at is, you know, back then you know, the customer was always right. And, um, you know, it's all about customer service. And I'm not saying that every industry is like that, but I mean, let's be real. We're for the most part, I'm at the top end of the millennials. Um, millennials probably their strong suit is not customer service. Right. Um, you know, we, we grew up entitled and if it's not convenient, then we get mad. And I mean, don't get me wrong. That's a, that's probably one of my daily battles is I'm a by nature, very, very impatient person. At least you can so, admit that and try to work around it. But I have to work at not being impatient yeah. to people. And that that's that's hard. And I agree with you. Our grandparents, I mean, when they walked in a store, it was, you know, greeting and hello. And I mean, I try to, for the most part, whether I'm in the drive through or walk in, you know, the hardware store or whatever, I try to make sure I speak to, to everybody. And, you know, that's, well, making, a, making an effort, I guess. And yeah. you got to look at Generation Z, too. So they're kind of like the baby boomers. I mean, they grew up they grew up with Internet. They grew up with phones. Yep. So now they're to the age where they're getting to – they want that human connection yeah. because they're so separated. They're so connected with the world, but at the same time, they're so separated. Oh, so you, separated. See, that? you see that on a daily basis in your market? Uh, yeah. you oh, absolutely. Sure. That's interesting I mean, because they, they – the worst thing – that we, we've talked about this before. The worst thing you see is that someone putting something on – like acting like they're someone else, yeah. you know, putting on that facade, that character, you know, and it's not resulting in anything but more. It's like, it's their insecurity. That's right. what it gets down to. I was having a conversation with a few people last night. I was going to wait to talk about this topic, but I'm going to do it right now. <laughs> so I was having a to uh, conversation and all of us as a whole. And if you if you disagree with me on this, you're a very rare person. If I was to take my playlist, open it up and show it to you you would be very surprised. Everyone puts on this facade and acts like there's someone they're not. But if you were, if we were all to look at each other's playlists, I think it would really help us understand each other. Like say if it was Spotify or Apple <laughs> Music or whatever, because you'd be really surprised at what you would see in there. But people only want to go with the trend. They don't want to, they don't want to show who they really are. You would see, okay, well, the way I look with tattoos and, you know, earrings <laughs> in my ears, um, people would think I listen to heavy metal. I really don't. 
I would rather listen to, to groove or blues. You would never think that looking at me. And it's very interesting. I really think in our society, if you would just swap phones for a day or swap playlists or logins and say, here's my playlist, get to know me. It would really create a good connection, but people are so insecure. They don't want to show their true side. And that's just a small example, but I thought it was really interesting that thinking about it that way, we're all kind of timid about really, really, really expressing who we really are to people. But the thing is, we have the ability and people are doing it on a daily basis. They're just not doing it as themselves. Well, you get you get. And I I think some of that goes back to there's so much social media and everything is, you know, I know people hear this all the time, but everything is recorded. So if you actually get out there and express yourself it's not just to, you know, it's not just to these four people, you yeah. know, we're, we're talking on a microphone right now. So there's right. no telling how many people is going to hear that. So if you say honestly what you truly mean, you're going to get judged. And they're that. scared. And, and people are scared, people are scared, that. scared, scared of, that. of judgment. Right. But what, what that does as a whole is not, it restricts your creativity and your well, your being as a person For sure. being unique. Yes. So what's the, so you're adhering to conform to society and create this facade publicly to, do, uh, to express yourself but you're not doing it to your own uniqueness. You're doing it to everyone that, you know, to satisfy everyone else. Mind you, these are all people you don't know. You don't know any of these people. So I think my input on it basically is if you, if you're just unique and you do your thing, don't be scared, be passionate, get out there and be yourself and whatever it may be, you know, it doesn't matter what industry, but I feel like everyone, if they would do that, they would prevail. It would be a lot better for everyone, you know? I agree. And I feel like that that's almost harder the individuality is almost harder in the business world too because you're hustling your own oh, yeah. it's not coming from somebody else so anytime you meet somebody that's a possible customer yeah. and so you know if that person's judging the way you look or the way you act or whatever then that could affect your you know that could affect your bottom line later on down the road of course I mean I we were having that conversation the other day yeah um Cause I used to go we with that networking event. Yeah. I used to wear, not used to a couple weeks. Ago, I'd yeah, wear we're just talking, yeah. I'd wear suits every day, you know, cause I, but the job I had before, you know, they're 65 plus and that's what they, you don't have a long time. You know? right. So it's that first impression too. And then I got to where, you know, I was like about a month ago, I was like, you know, I mean, I like wearing suits I and mean, it's cool, but I was like, that's I, honestly, it's not comfortable. You know, I was like, I'm gonna start dressing more like myself. And, but you're right. I, it was, I guess it was more of an insecurity thing too. I was worried about that first impression. Of course. And I'm like, a lot of people do that in your industry yeah. and a lot of industries in my industry, yeah. especially yours as well. Yours a suit and tie, life insurance, insurance, right. financial advisor, suit and ties all day long. Right. Yeah. But what I've learned is that I do my best customer service when I'm comfortable, Right. when I'm being myself. And so I'm going to be myself. This is what I dress like on a daily basis. Now, if I'm going somewhere where I need to be a little more presentable from a corporate level, right. then I'll, I'll dress the, I'll dress the part, but I'm not going to just, you know, I'm not going to show up in t-shirt and flip-flops to a fortune 500 company right. just because it's a respect thing. They have that, you know, right. they have that set out and set forth where, Hey, this is how we operate. But I'm also not going to go meet an attorney wearing a suit and tie. I'm right. just not going to do it. I'm going to be myself. And I think a lot of us we're dealing with, and it, and I, and it just goes back to insecurity. We deal with those things and it keeps us from being who we are and it restricts us. We think that, Hey, this is going to make me better if I have this expensive ass car. Right. And I drive it every day and I pull up and I'm being flashy. And so we're spending all our money on all this stuff and we're actually shooting ourselves in the foot instead of being conservative, you know, and actually, yeah. Well, if you, if you're in the, the, I guess the first impression part, I, I'm not going to say that I dress down, but I dress very comfortable. Every day. <laughs> right. Um, you know, I'm but a, you have your jeans and a t-shirt yeah. person. Um, I, especially when it comes to the bridal shop and things like that, 
when you are fluent in what you're doing, people underestimate you in the beginning by what you're wearing. But then I feel like that's almost an advantage because when you start spouting off things and they are looking at you like, man, this dude really knows what he's talking about, especially when you're talking about a woman's industry. um, Then that almost, you almost, I think they feel guilty for (laughs) underestimating you in the beginning. And so it makes them respect you more after the fact yeah. and I, I don't know I kind of like getting that um, I'm really that, that rise out of people and knowing that they're looking at me going this they're going under anything and then when you start spouting off stuff and, and they figure out that you know your business then that whole thing changes and like I said I think they almost feel more comfortable with you because they're like this is a, just a normal regular dude but he does know what he's doing yeah if you're an expert in your industry it doesn't matter right they feel comfortable talking to you doing what you need to do and you're an expert in your industry you say okay well hey he, he knows what the hell he's talking about let's move on right you know I we just we I, man I, I just can't stress it enough we do things that on a daily basis that keep us from moving forward because we're worried about our market and if we would just be ourselves and put a little more momentum into it I run into, like, if I go to bigger cities, um, Sam in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and I, and I get on an elevator, and I'm in a nice hotel, because I like to go stay at nice places sometimes. I mean, I'm frugal when it comes to spending money, but every now and then, if I'm going out of town for something, I want to stay somewhere nice. If I walk in wearing a T-shirt and jeans, and there's an, someone in there who is not in the same realm as me, they look at me crazy, they look like I'm going to steal something. I've been in, I've been in, a, I've been in a sunglasses uh, business, um, in the same in the same type of city, and I was shopping for sunglasses. I need a new pair. I left mine, and we were traveling, so I wanted a new pair, a nicer pair, you know, like Oakley or Ray-Ban. I don't remember what kind of was, but two or three hundred dollar pair of sunglasses. I'm in there looking for sunglasses. I just got done at the gym down the road, so I had gym clothes on, so tattoos hanging out, you know. And I walk around looking for sunglasses, and I notice a security guard walk in the room. They walk in the door. <laughs> so I'm already profiled and stereotyped because I'm the dude in this very nice All little, the yeah, I'm the dude in the tattoos. Just, on you up there watching exactly, it. man. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm in there and I walk in, I'm looking for sunglasses. I'm just trying to shop and I had this security guard hovering over me and um, I get done and I check out. I just, yeah, I noticed that. I got done and checked out and as I started checking out, he left and the cashier said, yeah, we have that happen a lot. We do have, you know, stuff stolen every, every now and then. She said, but I can't believe he coming here and profiled you like that. And I was like, it happens every day. It is what it is. But I'm comfortable with my own skin, so I can be myself, and it doesn't even matter to me. And I think a lot of us face that, man. Like, a lot of us face things that we see. We don't want to be ourselves because we're so worried about someone, another opinion of someone who we don't even know. Right. Which doesn't really matter at all. You know, I think if you're representing yourself with passion, with knowledge, with hard work, you don't have to worry about that. You don't have right. to. Just an old school way of thought, kind of try, like trending its way out. It's yeah, if you can put. Yeah, if you can, I think you know we still got to hold on to some of those old school yeah. qualities. I don't think you know a lot of them are you know overused or kind of expired now. But there's right. some that we still need to keep. And I don't care who you are. The hard work. You think you're a quick, rich entrepreneur, um, 18 years old without doing anything? <laughs> or you're gonna be a you're gonna be an influencer? Yeah. Like I see a lot of kids who are growing up now. They want to be an influencer. That's what they want to be. Yeah, that's cool. But are you putting the work in to be one? Because I don't care what industry it is. Those influencers who someone may be paying on Instagram to market their product. I guarantee you they hustled their ass off to get there. Exactly. No matter how they did it. If they were just in the DMs all day long, every day in the comments or whatever. Yeah, you can't maybe. be an influencer without any experience. Man. Well, you can't be or hard work. Or hard work. Yeah. And that, that's what I was supposed to say. The, the experience comes from hard exactly. work. Exactly. So, I mean, you got to put in the work for, for people to – 
for you to expect people to listen to what you got to say. Yeah. And, and I don't even feel like age buys into it as much as what you're willing to do and the lengths you're willing to go to, you know, as far as working and putting yourself out there. And, you know, just like you, the, the, the whole subject line, getting past those insecurities, um, you know, that's, in my opinion, that goes back to the hard work. The person that's willing to put themselves out there, even though they're nervous, even though that's not what they like to do, that's that's where a lot of that comes You may from. be a 40-year-old in the industry you've been working in for 10 years and you hate what you're doing. Take the risk, stop what you're doing and do something different. Right. And if, if, you're that, if you're that age in an industry where you've just been doing it to make good money, start putting money to the side, quit, take a risk and don't, go do what you want to do for passion because I, at the end of the day, we don't get to take any of this home with us when we die. No, you're right. I buy into that 100%. I mean, my mom went back to college when she was 46. Exactly. Years old. Look at it. So, that's, I mean, that's, that's, that's kind right of a, a thing in my family. I mean, you're never too old to do anything. You're never too old to learn. You know, we do kind of, we are hard headed, but, you know, you, you can always learn something. Yeah. It's a, it's a mental state of mind. I feel like you got to be able to let your, not let yourself, push yourself to mentally to a place not many people are willing to go. Unfortunately, I feel most people, can't do that, but it's a it's a lonely place. But you got to be able to go further, get you know, get those insecurities. I mean, you're gonna feel that. You're gonna feel uncomfortable. I mean, well, that's another thing for conformity or wanting acceptance because they say like, as a um, business owner or just someone who's passionate about what they're doing or an entrepreneur in quotes, whatever you may be, sometimes that's the loneliest job to have because you're in your head twenty four seven, and if you get out of that mindset. You just got to be lonely. It is what it is yeah. in that in that aspect. Like you're the only one that knows everything you're going through on a daily basis. You got to deal with it. You can't look to others who don't know you to deal with it because they're, they're not worried about you. You, you can, And if you try to put all your insecurities out there, just looking for attention. Versus, and, yeah, yeah, exactly. And all that. It's OK to put them out there, but. Put them out there in action. Right. Put them out there in words. You know, don't don't right. say, "Oh, well, so and so, I can't believe I had such a bad day because of this." But shut up and do something There's about something. it. There's do something about it. it. That's going to solve the insecurity versus just posting about it or just calling someone to complain because someone right. was mean to them that day. Just right. taking action, man. I think that we're missing that a lot. And you know, I, I, I sit here and talk about this stuff on a weekly basis, whether it be insecurities, accountability, moving forward from marketing to any business. We all have the same common goal. We're trying to move forward. We're already at a point now where we're doing things. We're successful in the aspect of we know what we want to do. Right. I'm sure we all have end goals. What's your end goal, Thomas? Uh, to be honest with you, exit plan. <laughs> exit plan. I mean, retirement. Okay. I mean, dead serious. So you're working I, hard right now so you can cash it in. Exactly. How, right. how long do you think? I mean, in a perfect world, 55. 55. So I mean, 20 more years. And I know that sounds bad. Well, think about it. Well, think I, mean, about I just it. want to work to have how long, fun. Yeah, how long I have mean, you been doing this, though? Um, I mean, like, like I said, barbershop a little over 14 years. Okay, so you still have more than that time left. No, I agree with so that. There's, there's, there's a sky's the limit, man. I mean, I'm not saying that I'm done doing what I'm doing. Yeah. Like I said, the, the whole thing is to live comfortably as big as I can live. It's like almost... To, to, to get the end game as big as I can get it yeah. right now. And I know, like I said, that may sound vain, but um, I'm not saying that because I'm looking on an exit plan that I'm complacent by no, by well, no means. I mean, we talk about stuff, new things to do every yeah, day. Yeah, and you still value customer service right. and your clients and relationships. You're not looking for the end game and not valuing what's getting you there. No, I agree. And that, it's I not a complacency thing. I it's just, a, it's, it's, I mean, and... 
I, I don't know if everybody this didn't really hit me until probably in the last year or two like used to I just you know it was like trying to uh, trying to just keep your eye on the ball, yeah. you know, and then at some point, I don't know, it just kind of swapped to, I mean, you know, being a barber, I'm not saying it's strenuous because, you know, I, I've done way more things, but you can't stand behind that chair your whole life. No, and so yeah, at some point you've got to look for when I can't do this, I've got to have a plan. Yeah. And I guess that's kind of where I'm at is getting the plan for, 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 for the end game. Like I said, it's not complacency at all. It's just, you know, and I think everybody probably gets to that point at some point. Well, and you said in game as far as like, you know, when you're talking about retail, um, they're saying it's phasing out, it's gonna change. Like our goal is to reinvent reinvent the wheel. That's okay. And reinvent the service and the products that we sell. Because your Gen Z (laughs) doesn't buy a product anymore. They buy an experience. My parents will spend a lot of money on a freaking product. Experience, they don't tip very well. Gen Z will tip really good and they will buy an experience. For how much money you go to to go to Disney World? I mean or, or if you want to travel and go to wherever, Cosmo yeah. or whatever it may be and get experience, you, you don't put a price on that. You save up. Yeah. And it's the same thing. If you create that experience mm-hmm. for your market, then they're going to value it. Yeah. Versus just no one values what they get at a discount and no one values what they get for free. Exactly. And if you think about that on a daily basis, you really can apply that to anything. I agree with that. If you give someone a free buffet or a free you know, uh, you know what a gift card for free, whatever. They may go there one time and never visit again because they, it's just one of those things. They didn't, right. they didn't take the time to spend the money on the experience or whatever. Right. You know. Yeah. So we want to reinvent the wheel so that way we can like duplicate it, make it bigger, and then that's what we can like play and live off of. It's funny, uh, funny you say that. A lot of people, I feel like, especially in my industry, is such an old. Older, been around a long time industry. We've always done it that way. We've always done it. Yeah. Oh, that dude, that's a big thing. Hey, people tell me that. Yeah. Yeah. Pick up that phone book and call. I was, I was watching something today. Well, I'm going to butcher this, but it was pretty much saying it's so hard because, I, like I said, in my industry, I feel like it was it was a good fit. It's so hard when somebody's making money and, and doing the way it was always done right now. Making money, doing it, being successful, to tell them that that's not going to work so much, you know, moving forward. Yeah. And it, it's almost damn near impossible, but and some people would say it's bad to reinvent the wheel, but I agree with you, and I guess that's one of the things that really motivates me, too, to take some of the things from the past and implement it, because they do work, but at the same time, you got to figure out what's next, because I think you mentioned something like this earlier, I mean, just look at some of the, the actual retail brick-and-mortar stores that are closing, what was it, Sears, I saw a big maternity one the other day. A lot of the big ones are closing. A lot of them are still implementing the old ways, but the ones that did that and adapted at the same time, you know, are obviously still here. So for me, that's kind of the fun challenge for me right now. And I feel like I rattle some cages doing it sometimes. You need to. Yeah. Especially in you're in an area that's not, it's not massive yet, but it's growing, but you have a lot of people in that market that aren't strong willed. I mean, they're so strong willed that it's keeping them from moving forward. Right. And if you don't adapt to your market, it's, market doesn't discriminate it's going to move forward no matter what right you know and that's life that's life in general well and almost kind of going back to what you were saying earlier about failing the test right the deal with reinventing the wheel is you do have to it, it can be a good thing and a bad thing if you want to reinvent the wheel but the old way was better right then that is a dangerous thing you just right. got to be able to recognize okay you know we can do this better or we or this is a, a good way to do it and i do think that as long right. as you're thinking that way then you're moving forward but you also yeah. have to be able to recognize when the old way may be better than like dj was saying earlier you got to keep some of the old ways right. with you got to balance still I right. think you got to balance because there's well here's right. the thing 
To an extent, I agree. I think that our society as a whole, we transition and sometimes we're so resistance against resistant against it because we're it's everything's moving forward so fast we are goes back to insecurities we're holding those insecurities because we're a little bit scared to move forward because we don't know what the results going to be yet right but no matter what it's going to happen right so there's some things you can embrace the things that always are still working and you don't want to break them because you know they're they're already working fine put those processes in place and just keep moving forward i think that goes for your life at home right you know your life in the business your you know relationship with friends you know whatever it may be you know getting the getting the bad stuff out of the way and moving forward and finding the good resolve for everything because right. the biggest issue i think we have is we're afraid of looking for we're not going to go out of our comfort zone to do something different because we're worried about what the consequence is going to be but that's holding us back from doing any damn thing well and the getting complacent is just like what you're saying yeah. the, the consequences as far as you get used to making this amount of money and if you go do this it may cost you more money but you may not be sure that you're going to make that back on the back end and i yeah. think that especially in business <laughs> that that scares people a lot more well, you know even the financial if you're so transactional all the time i do I feel all kinds of stuff yeah dude but i do all kind of stuff for free on a daily basis in my industry yeah it comes back somehow yeah. you know what it does of course I, I don't give work for free to everyone but if there's an issue or something that i can help with and I know that client or whoever it may be, where it's personal or business, I know that person may not have the money to pay me, but man, it just feels good to do good stuff. You know, it'll, it'll come back if, if, if you're doing everything every day for a paycheck, man, you're just a robot in this society. That just pushing product over. Exactly. You know, and yeah. I, I agree with that a hundred percent. Even you shouldn't, and also you shouldn't go into things that you're doing for free, expecting something out of it. At the end of the day, even if it keeps karma on your side, then you're ahead. You know, I mean, somebody somebody notices it, and exactly. if not, then you know. It if is. you're constantly putting good energy out there, it's going to return. Right. If yeah. you're the person that's just all about the end number, and there's no trans, I mean, there's nothing but transaction. There's no relationship. There's no respect. You know, you it, probably failed it. It's just going to fizzle out. Yeah. I, mean, I don't care what industry you're in. It just is what it is. If you're, you know, a trust fund baby and you get thrown into something, if you're not applying those processes, it will fizzle out right. at some point. It, it, you, you may have a lot of money. You may, have, you may have enough money to make it to your kids take it over, but it's going to fizzle out if you right. don't steal those values in your kids or, you know, whatever it may right. be. So uh, we got a few more minutes left. I want to shotgun any, any other points you guys want to throw out here real quick. Um, to just follow up on what we're talking about. Yeah, I think uh, I think the biggest things to kind of retouch on it for me was just being, you know, one persistent and very self-aware of, you know, what's going on around me as far as whether it's, you know, just life in general or the business. I feel like that's been a big part of it, you know, being able to recognize, you know, how someone feels, whether it's a client or not, or how I'm feeling or, you know, when I should take those chances and maybe roll that dice and try to maybe reinvent this wheel, maybe not, but also being able to recognize it's not working. So I think self-awareness, persistence, but self-awareness for, for me has been a big part of it. Yeah. Well, I I guess on, on my end of it, one, just like I said earlier, uh, I can't stress enough, you know, obviously kids are going to be adolescents and even when you're in your 20s, but try not to waste any time. You yeah. know, when you get to the point and I, I tell youngins that work for me, man, when I, I'm not saying you got to move out whenever you're 18, but you need to be looking for a, a you need to start adulting. Right. You know, well, the thing you is, be looking yeah. for, for, you know, almost, the, you know, like I was talking about the exit plan, you need to be looking for your entrance plan. Yeah. And getting out of your parents' house is the first entrance. Yeah. You know, the second thing is um, don't be just like we've been talking about with the 
insecurities. Don't be scared to, to fail. I mean, if if you don't fail, then life would just be mediocre all the time. You would have no satisfaction because you haven't. If everything is always going your way, then you're never going to appreciate exactly something right. for what it is. So that that one trip and fall may result in you rising above, you know, whatever it may be. So look, guys, I got a few gifts for you to show my gratitude if you guys come on. Um, so Thomas. And I didn't know Alicia was coming, but I got something you guys can share. So I know you guys really like wine. It's a very interesting story. It's called King Chacho. And I believe this is named after a, a, a boar and a leader of the, I believe, no, the Bandito gang back in 1860s, what it says, um, used to feed their people when they would kill someone or someone against them in society or whatever, they would feed them to this boar. So that's the name of the boar's name. That's so cool, King Chacha, it's supposed to be some really good, Thank really you. good wine. And the Jordan, I got you some Sazerac. This is probably my favorite. This is my favorite ride because I, I love old fashions and I love Sazerac. So I just wanted to uh, give you the hey, you gotta you gotta share with Alicia, man. No, I'm, we, <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, you know, we 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 generally do most everything together. So yeah. well, awesome. Yeah. Well, I appreciate everyone uh, everyone you, coming on, man. I th thanks to the listeners, and please subscribe to the podcast. You guys have a great day.